Let us pray in preparation for the reading and preaching of God's word. God of all wisdom, you have promised to speak to, to us through your living word. So now, as the scripture is read, and Pastor Paul preaches your word, open our ears and hearts to receive your spirit of truth. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me continue reading where Glow left off with the second half of our gospel passage for today. Then he began, then he being Jesus, then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For those of you who are old enough to have grown up in one place and then moved to another, it might not be much of a stretch for you to understand Jesus' sentiments when he says, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. Now, understandably, most of us would probably shy away from identifying ourselves as a prophet, but I'm sure many of you have returned to your hometowns surprising, perhaps even shocking, 
people with the direction your life has taken. As many of you know, I grew up in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada, and it has been a common occurrence for me over the years to surprise folks when I tell them that I'm a pastor. In fact, just this last Friday, I reconnected with an old friend from my junior high school years on, the, um, the, on Facebook, on the internet, who said to me, I quote, Paul, it's so good to hear what you are up to, but an associate pastor? Really? I don't think I ever could have called that one. <laughs> End of quote. Of course, it was followed by the friendly smiley face. Perhaps returning to one's hometown when you visit familiar places, when you're among familiar faces, can be the hardest place to speak truths or to be taken seriously. I know college students often feel this tension when returning from their first semester of being away. Now, I humbly remember returning home after my first semester of college, and my family, they, they couldn't say or do anything right because I had just learned everything in one semester <laughs> that would and should enlighten my family, my entire family, if only they would listen to me, if only they could get it but they couldn't. The limitation in our ability to identify with this particular passage is probably that indeed we all have prophetic moments in our lives, but Jesus is certainly a prophet of a different kind, returning to his hometown. He's the very son of God who has been raised by all of these people who have, are gathering to see him for 30 or so years. They, in fact, have been the community who has raised him to begin the ministry and the mission that he is doing. In this sermon series that we've been walking through, we've been walking through Jesus with some pretty major, or through some pretty major turning points in his life and his ministry. And for those of you who have subtitles in your Bibles, which often give names to certain portions of scripture, uh, many of your Bibles probably label today's passage as Jesus. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Rejection. Now there's a universal experience. I don't care who you are, how old, how young, male or female, black, brown or white, or a wonderful bit of each, as is my beautiful daughter. Each and every one of us knows what it feels like to be rejected. To intentionally or perhaps unintentionally be left outside or put outside of something. I think you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you didn't get that job or you didn't get that promotion that you'd worked so hard for. You didn't make the sports team. You didn't make the cheerleading squad. You didn't get the chair in the band that you've been striving to get. You were the one who didn't get the invitation to the party of the season. Maybe on... Um, some level, maybe even a deeper level, you have been excluded because of your gender, maybe because of your age, maybe because of your ability or um, your lack of ability, maybe because of your sexual orientation. Perhaps for some, you have felt left out because of what you can afford or can't afford, and perhaps for others, you have felt even left out of an experience right here within this church family. We all know. 
We all know in varying capacities what it feels like to be an outsider. And so this is where we enter today's gospel text with Jesus, one who was clearly on the inside, one who was brought up by all of these people that he's gathering with, but whose message that he's bringing clearly makes him an outsider now. And in the way that God so often does through Scripture, God flips the equation upside down on us when Jesus quotes the words of the prophet Isaiah when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus ends his citing of Isaiah's words with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But the actual text from the 61st chapter of Isaiah goes on, and it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord, and, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who will mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So if someone could just kind of call out for me wherever you're sitting, who can tell me what the word gospel means? Say it again together. Good news. The word gospel literally means good news. And I'd say for the outsider, these words of Jesus that Jesus has just quoted from Isaiah are indeed good news. Now, perhaps from an insider's perspective, and I've heard it said, love is all we need. Love is all we need. All we have to do is the people of God is just love people into the kingdom of God. And don't get me wrong when I go here. Love, especially love lived out in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ, is essential, it's vital, it's necessary to being Jesus' followers in this world. But for the outsider seeking their voice in any institution or organization, including the church, the phrase, love is all you need, love is all we need, might actually translate as some sort of callous brush-off. When we look at the scriptures, we always need to ask ourselves, who did Jesus hang out with? And yes, we know the answer is Jesus hung out a lot with his disciples, but so often it was the outsider or outsiders who Jesus hung out with. It's the outsiders who always remind us in their struggles for justice that the most hearty, the most healthy dose of love does not always make the medicine of the humanly constructed status quo go down. And certainly not in the most delightful way. Think about the text that Katie read at the beginning of our worship service this morning. Imagine if the youthful prophet Jeremiah remained quiet in his lifetime, all because of what Jeremiah already knows. And surely Jeremiah expects God to know this, that the Jewish youth nearly 3,000 years ago were fully expected to be seen, but certainly not heard. 
particularly ones who were going to say hard things like Jeremiah would be moved to say. So Jeremiah responds to God saying, Listen, God, I don't know how to speak, for I'm young. I'm just a boy. And what does God say to Jeremiah? Don't just say, I'm a youth, Jeremiah. For you shall go to all whom I send you. And by the way, Jeremiah, don't be afraid. Normally in our faith tradition, a person stands up for young children in their baptism, claiming God's promises for them until they can claim claim God's promises for themselves. But today, we, we, we got to witness in Ella's baptism, a child, a young child, trust that prophetic voice within her. Clearly hearing God's voice inviting her. And so she responded with a resounding yes. Were we to stay within the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law with our provisions around infant and children's baptism, we would have missed taking part in something very sacred that God is doing in Ella's life, that that God is doing in her family's life that God wants to do in all of our lives. Can we imagine the rookie Rabbi Jesus holding back the difficult, the painful words that he shares with his own people in Nazareth? Because as every peasant Jewish villager 2,000 years ago knows, or as with every peasant villager 2,000 years ago, they knew him as he should be known, and that was all there was to know about him. When I think of this, I I, I think, thank God that you have all let me grow in my preaching and teaching abilities and voice in the pulpit. Because when I first came to you 10 years ago, a fresh-faced seminarian, I fear that I sounded like a God robot. (laughs) Trained in the proper God speak, but grasping again for how anything I had learned in the academy made sense in your everyday ordinary lives. Yes, with our contemporary eye, we might assume that the people of Nazareth would look kindly on a young man just beginning his ministry. After all, he had just passed through his 40-day trial by fire in the desert wilderness. And then we are told in passing that he begins to immediately set the world on fire around him. The word about Jesus is spreading, and now Jesus has returned home. Local boy made good. So imagine again the context of our scripture. The crowd is is gathered. The crowd is hushed. Jesus is reading and experiencing a wonderful passage of commissioning for anyone who's beginning a rabbinic ministry. And like any good rabbi would, any good clergy person today would do, Jesus begins to turn these words of commissioning for himself into words of commissioning for those who are listening. And so far, so good. And yet whispers and suspicious glances begin to be exchanged, and the words and the looks shared by the Nazarenes begin to say it all. Our hometown boy seems to have changed. But no, it can't be. Isn't this the carpenter's son, they exclaim? Or more correctly, um, when translating This text from the Greek, it's something like, isn't this the son of a maker of wood products? Which certainly is a much more humbler profession. 
Isn't he the son of a man named Joseph who lost his land? And therefore, that would make Jesus a man of inherited disgrace. So these great things that he's saying just can't be. He speaks such gracious things, but, but, but he's not allowed to. We must remember that, that first century Palestine is a very social and mobile world. With very few exceptions, the status that you were born to is the status that you will remain all of your life. And so the wonderment, amazement, and doubt run rampant among all of these listeners. And in short, I would imagine that there is a spirit of complete chaos. For if Jesus has changed, if Jesus has changed, no less than their entire world has changed. Soon enough, Jesus picks up on their profound confusion, and perhaps he realizes that this may be his commissioning, but it may not be theirs. And so he lays aside his prepared remarks and says to them, a prophet is not welcome in a prophet's hometown. And basically what Jesus is saying here is, you won't get the message because you don't get the messenger. But Jesus doesn't stop here. He knows his love for them. We know that he must have loved them for they are the ones who raised him. But he still moves forward and he risks burning relational bridges with them. And he does so by defending his ministry to the people with the witness of those outside of Nazareth. He does so by indicting his own people, the insiders, with two stories from their very own scriptures. And, he's, and it seems that he does all of this without raising his voice. And I don't know about you, but if that's true then that's a miracle right there because I can easily imagine myself raising my voice by now. Which leads us to wonder. As angry as they are, why, oh why, do the people of this small town of Nazareth get so angry? Why do they get so angry at one of their own that they would, they would want to push him over a cliff? Perhaps the answer lies somewhere in their own particular sense of specialness, of uniqueness. Perhaps the answer lies in their belief that God's love, as made manifest through the magnificent powers of one of their own, should therefore be reserved for them alone. Sadly, I've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I know I've thrown some pretty well-intentioned people off of cliffs in times of personal despair or hurt, only to find out that they really meant me no harm. And in doing so, I've often missed the gift of the message that they were actually extending to me. For almost 23 years, we have enjoyed I would say a prophet in our midst in the pastorate of Dale Sewell. One of Dale's legacies will undoubtedly be that he has always pushed us to consider and to reconsider God's call of welcoming the outsider. And we will always give thanks to God for Dale's example and witness. And I know, I know that there are some of you 
who might fear and ask, what is going to happen to the outsider with Dale's departure? And that is a valid and an honest question. But thanks be to God that Dale's message has come from Scripture. Thanks be to God that Dale's message has come from a lifetime of his desire to follow Jesus' ways in this world. Dale has been the pointer to the true prophet, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Christ's message of what it means to welcome the outsider, with or without any one of us pastors or staff persons or lay leaders, you as a community called MIPC, you will always need to continue to grow in your understanding and your practice of what it means to welcome the outsider as you grow in life and faith together. One of the founders of our Reformed faith, good old John Calvin, once said that our human heart, the center of our most loving self, is a veritable factory of idols. And because our hearts produce false gods around the clock, we inevitably and irresistibly, and more often than not unconsciously, convince ourselves that we know what is best for us in the church. It's just a reality of our human condition. We naturally cling to what is comfortable. We maintain the status quo. We do it, I do it, you do it. Which is why we need, we always need, we will always need the lives and the stories of those who feel they are on the outside looking in, who remind us that the bread of life, that the living water offered to us in Jesus is for all. If you think about it, it's pretty profound that Jesus invites us. It's not pretty profound, it's, it's amazingly profound that Jesus invites us to be his presence, his hands, his feet, his voice, his embrace to every person that you encounter. To that person who sits alone in your work or your school cafeteria or commons. To those persons you encounter in the courtroom, in the operating room, in the boardroom, in the classroom, at the gym, to our food servers, to our baristas, to our grocery store clerks. When's the last time you had a conversation about faith with some of those QFC checkers? I can tell you right now on the north end, some of those QFC checkers are Christians and believe in God and have a deep faith. You can tell by the tattoos on their arms <laughs> if you take note. to those we know and those we don't know, to those who think like us and those who think very differently from us, to those sitting beside or behind you, to those who wait at home for you today, even to those who will reject you. So where do we go and what do we do? Two encouragements, two things as we move from this place today. Commit yourself to listen again, to hear anew the gift of an outsider's story. Again, commit yourself to listen again, hear anew the gift of an outsider's story. And secondly, commit yourself to listen again and hear anew the gift of the outsider within your own story.
for your story and their story in the eyes of God's is one story, our story. Perhaps we can begin there. Let us pray together. Lord, help us to listen again and to hear anew the gift of an outsider's story in our midst. Help us to listen again and to hear anew the gift of the outsider in our own story. And Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us, for we are listening. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.